Well, hello everyone and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring common questions to medical experts for insight and information. I'm your host, Mary Arnoff, Vice President of Community and Patient Engagement at Providence, and joining me today is Anna Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist for the Behavioral Health and Primary Care Integration Program at Providence St. Joseph Mission Heritage Medical Group. We're here today to discuss loneliness and its impact on our mental health. So let's get started by welcoming our guest today. Hi, Anna. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We love having you here. <laughs> In fact, you've been here so many times that I know your background and your story, but for people listening who haven't, why don't we start really easy and have you give a little background about you and your work at Providence? Absolutely. So I'm Anna Nguyen. I'm actually a licensed married family therapist, and that's my background. I am actually a program manager for behavioral health and primary care integration for Providence in Orange County, California. So I oversee a team of wonderful therapists under our St. Jude, St. Joseph, and Mission Heritage Clinic sites. It's such an honor to do this work, and I am so happy to talk about mental health any day. Oh, it's such a big and vast topic, and I, I know we could probably talk every day. We joked about that earlier, but today we're going to talk just about loneliness. So let's let's start there and maybe talk about what is the difference between loneliness and social isolation? Because I think we hear both words used pretty interchangeably. That's a great question. And I get that question all the time because there's a lot of confusion between the two. So I'm going to take it back to a little bit of theory um, with psychology and therapy in itself. So we have cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's a really common evidence-based practice that a lot of people use. Now, the idea with cognitive behavioral therapy is we have our thoughts that trigger our emotions that lead to our behaviors. Now, how loneliness and social isolation ties into this is let's say we have a thought of, I don't belong. That's going to trigger an emotion, likely loneliness, which is going to trigger a behavior, which is going to be social isolation. So the difference is loneliness is more of an emotion. Now it's not good or bad. It's just an emotion that we feel because there's a myth that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. For instance, anger is a bad emotion. We don't want to experience that. Loneliness is a bad emotion. The reality is emotions are just emotions and they all have a purpose they serve. Social isolation is oftentimes a result of loneliness. And this may be when you're in a crowd of people, you feel like you don't belong, or it could be when you're alone physically by yourself and you start to feel those feelings of sadness and loneliness creeping in. What about depression? Like, can loneliness lead to depression? Can you be depressed without being lonely? Can you be lonely without being depressed? Everything with mental health is always a gray area. I always say it's not as black and white, and loneliness is very similar to that as well, where loneliness can be absolutely tied to depression. Is it going to guarantee that you will develop depression? No. Is it very much correlated with depression? Absolutely. You know, feelings of loneliness is really common in depression, because if we think about depression symptoms, we're experiencing things like low energy, low motivation, you know, we are feeling low self-worth, we're having a lot of negative thoughts. These are often things that will add fuel to the fire when it comes to loneliness and vice versa as well. So if we are experiencing a heightened symptom um, or symptomology of depression, we are likely to feel lonely as well if we are isolating, if we're not reaching out for support. On the other hand, if we're feeling lonely and it's really to the extreme um place where now it's interfering with our daily functioning in our lives, then absolutely, then it can start to feel like it's seeping into depression as well. It's really not that one guarantees the other. It's just that if we're experiencing one, we really want to be mindful of the other and be on the lookout for the other one. 
Well, you know, what's interesting is you, you mentioned isolation. And when I was researching this, I learned that you can be lonely even around people. So you don't necessarily have to be in isolation to be lonely. Talk to me a little bit about that. What, what does that mean to be lonely with people? That is so common as well. There's so many different types of loneliness. And I will say when it comes to loneliness, it's so broad. We always want to dig a little deeper. We always want to peel back the onion a little more to identify what's really driving the loneliness. Because on one hand, loneliness could be losing someone or something. It could be being alone physically. It could be feeling alone emotionally. So it could be feeling different than other people, not feeling like we're belonging in a group, not feeling like, um, like, like we are normal in that sense, feeling like there's something wrong with me, that thought's really common, there's something wrong with me, can also lead to loneliness as well. There are lots of different reasons why anyone can feel lonely. It's really a matter of taking the time to self-reflect and really thinking about what's driving these feelings of loneliness. Well, this one really interested me too, because I think if you ask 90% of people, they would tell you I'm an extrovert. If you ask my mother, she would tell you I'm an introvert. I like to tell people that I'm an introverted extrovert, but I, I was looking at this ahead of time and it talked a little bit about introverts and extroverts and how that matters when it comes to loneliness. So talk to me a little bit about that. It's, it's so funny you bring that up because a lot of people have the misconception as well of, you know, these are characteristics defined by introvert or extrovert. A lot of people think, okay, if this person is an introvert, they're shy. Um, if they think this person is an extrovert, they are the life of the party. And it doesn't necessarily mean that these are characteristics. What that really means is it could be how are we utilizing time and our surroundings to replenish ourselves when we're feeling depleted. And a great example is that, you know, you could feel, I'm going to bring it back to your earlier question too, Mary, is that you could feel lonely when you're in a crowd if you are feeling more of an introvert. When you're an introvert, you have more intimate gatherings and that replenishes you. You have more time alone and that replenishes you. It's quiet time. It's time to reflect. And it doesn't mean that you're shy. It doesn't mean that you are passive. It just means that you take a different approach to recharging. Just like if you were extroverted, then it's a different approach where you like being around crowds and energy and conversation. Like happy hour is where extroverts thrive. You know, it's really just different environments. And I love, Mary, that you brought up that you're a little bit of both because most people are both. It's just that there are different times in our lives when we're feeling like maybe we're a little more energized and replenished while we're with people. Maybe there are times where we just need to sit back and reflect. There's never a, a box that we have to really define ourselves to be put in. We want to make sure that we are in the gray area at all times to think that we, we're human, we're complex. We are growing to be both introverts and extroverts. I think uh, COVID changed my mindset. Before COVID, I thought I was an extrovert. And then I realized I don't necessarily need to be around people all the time. And I noticed that I had to, if I people too much, I have to really be on my own for a while to recharge. I like the way that you said recharge. So I think that that changed it for a lot of people. Um, but this, this one's interesting to me because I, I have people in my life that I think might be lonely, but I'm not really sure. How do I know if they're lonely? And then if I think they're lonely, do I ask them about it? Do I insert myself? Do I kind of like force them to not be lonely? What do we do there? That's a great question. Loneliness, I promise you, will look different for every single person. And sometimes, you know, to be honest, it's our own perception of what it means to be lonely, what it looks like to be lonely that we then project into other people. I'll give you an example because 
there we can walk across a restaurant maybe there's someone sitting there eating alone and if we are really afraid of being alone we can think oh my gosh that person is so lonely but the reality could be that that person is so comfortable with being alone they could be reading they could be texting they could be doing all these other things to be engaged but we don't know so we often project what we think is lonely onto other people. So what we may perceive as lonely could be completely different from what they are experiencing. Um, you, your question is, you know, do I ask the person about it? Absolutely. We want to always check in with the person. We don't want to assume that they are lonely, but we want to always say, um, hey, I've noticed maybe there is a behavior change. I've noticed that usually you go out after work and you have a good time, but lately it seems like you are um, alone in your room for a couple hours and I notice it's pretty dark in there. So what we're looking for here is we're looking for behavior changes actually. So if we're noticing that someone's got a pattern of being maybe um, an extrovert as we're talking about it, being really um, outgoing, they get energized when they're with people, but we start to notice that behavior change where now they're secluded, they're isolated and they're not wanting to talk to anyone. That That's the difference that we're really wanting to check in on. We wanna be able to be respectful and not say, hey, are, are you lonely? And then, you know, it could be taken the wrong way. But if we check in and say, hey, I've just noticed that something's looking a little different. I just noticed that you're behaving a little different. And I'm just really worried. You know, I think we, a lot of us saw changes after COVID, right? People had been at home and then they were having to go out and there was a lot of anxiety around it. And I think we started to see more what we would maybe call social anxiety is, is loneliness impacted by that? Is, is loneliness a form of social anxiety? How did those kind of connect? That's a great question too. And actually, so social anxiety is more of fear of embarrassment or our insecurities when we're in a group. And, and that's really very, very common actually. Now, loneliness is a little bit different because loneliness is an emotion. So usually if you are feeling like you are, let's say, in the process of grief and you're missing someone, um, someone that used to be there all the time and you're, you're noticing that gap, that, that hole in your heart, that's something that more so we're feeling lonely, whereas social anxiety is more so if, if you're in a crowd, then you start to really have these insecure feelings, the nervousness of what if I embarrass myself? What if I do something and everybody laughs at me? And it's really interesting because the term social anxiety, I think, is so used loosely. But when we bring it back, it's really about these feelings of insecurity for us that comes up and feelings of um, being afraid of being embarrassed in front of other people, which then might lead to social isolation because of that embarrassment. Well, Anna, you know, I'm a fixer, right? We've had this conversation. I feel like I need to fix everything for people. So if I find that somebody in my life is lonely or experiencing loneliness, how do I fix it? Like, can it be cured? Should I not fix it? What, what do you suggest I do? I love that because we're a lot of us, we're, we want to be fixers, right? We want to make people happy. We want to make people feel better. And it's really uncomfortable to watch someone that we love suffer or go through a, a really challenging time. And so I would say the best way is everyone's a little different on how they're processing loneliness, how they feel it, how they like to be connected. Like we talked about earlier too, it's very much um, like an onion that if we peel back, there's more to loneliness than what we just see, than what we're just feeling, because it's likely tied to something. For everyone, it could be a little different. For someone who could be experiencing some sort of loss, it could be processing the loss, talking about the loss, honoring the loss in some sort of way. For someone who feels different when they're in a crowd, when they're in a group, it could be talking about how, you know, how normalizing these feelings could be, that how 
how we could feel different and belong in a group and be together and connect. So it's really getting into that gray area and it's really getting to what's driving the loneliness because for every single person when they feel it, it's a bit different, especially during the holidays. I think about, you know, people who can't be close to their families and their loved ones being away and isolated could lead to loneliness. And I always talk about, you know, what are some traditions we can bring from the holidays to where we're at? Are there things that we like, um, family Thanksgiving dishes that we really enjoy that maybe if we can't be there with them, we can try to recreate it on our own? Or are there traditions that we have um, within our families or friends that we can take or even creating new traditions as well? Part of it is creating a sense of security and predictability um, that really, really helps to offset the loneliness. I remember, I think it was my freshman year of, of college that I couldn't come home for Thanksgiving. And so they sent me a pie, right? Like they, to make sure that I didn't, I didn't feel lonely. And I was fortunate that I was able to go with some of my college friends, families, but I could, I could see where bringing those traditions out kind of makes a, a big difference because you do feel still connected, even if you're not there. I like that. And did you know, Mary, a fun fact is our olfactory senses, so our smell is the fastest way to evoke memories. So even getting a pie, right? And even thinking about pumpkin pie or apple pie, like if you think about what it smells like in the cinnamon, it brings you back to memories. So even as we're creating our own traditions and doing things to help with the loneliness, um, smelling things that are really comforting to us could absolutely bring us back to a more pleasant place. I'm going to I'm going to one up you on that one, though, because every time I smell my grandma's perfume, I get sad and I feel lonely. So I think it, it can do both. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It can absolutely do both. And that's the beauty of it is smelling the perfume doesn't mean it's bad. I think it just means that when it comes to loss, especially with with um, family members or how much we miss them if they're not around. I really do think the grief that we feel is so equivalent to the love that we feel for them. So that sadness, I really would encourage people to think the sadness that I feel in my memories, is that related to how much I love that person, how much I'm missing them? Yeah. Thinking about the good times for sure. You know, when, when we first talked about having this conversation around loneliness, whenever you say loneliness, the first people that come to mind for me are, are the elderly, right? Who tend to have maybe lost a loved one, but it impacts everybody. But are there certain age groups or demographics or, or people that are more prone or more vulnerable to loneliness? Our seniors absolutely um, are vulnerable to it. But I would say, you know, Really, people say one in three people report feeling loneliness quite often. And that's actually, you know, I, I think it should be more because loneliness is part of the emotional wheelhouse that we feel everything in. So I think it's actually really normal to feel lonely. And again, it's not bad. I think part of feeling lonely is, lonely is just really a question of, you know, why do I feel the way I do? Let's dig it a little deeper to figure out what's going on. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that if we're experiencing this, you know, something's triggering it. Let's identify what it is and let's figure out how we can help ourselves feel better. Not to make it go away. We don't want to cure loneliness. We don't want to extinguish it. We want to be able to manage our emotions that come up just like you would as um, if you were to feel anger or sadness or shame or guilt. I love that you're making this not a bad thing. I really appreciate that. Um, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations around youth specifically, but, you know, we've noticed that a lot of kids are forming kind of more relationships or communities in the online space, not necessarily in person. Um, is that healthy? Is that safe? Do, does that impact whether they feel kind of connected versus lonely? 
You know, it's really interesting. And even as we we're just talking about the different age ranges is um, because it's an emotion, every single person at every age feels it. So we've what we've really seen is different age groups have utilized different technology and they've gotten really creative with it to um, identify how do how do we remedy feeling lonely? And especially with our, our younger you know generation with the teens and adolescents, it's not bad to connect with somebody online. Of course, you want to take these safe, appropriate practices if you're connecting with someone on the Internet. But it just means that you are a little more used to, whether it's chatting or Zooming, you're used to the, these virtual technologies as a means of to, of to communicate. Back then, we had our telephone, and that was perfectly okay. We, we would be able to call someone and talk to them and say that we miss them. I think it's very similar now as well, whether it is on a chat forum, whether it is on a, a thread that kind of we're, we're bonding over a topic that we really like. It's really created a sense of community, which is both positive and negative, I think, in the sense that it's positive, it creates the, the feeling of connectedness. I think it's it's tough and challenging in, this, in the sense that the internet is um, a widely unfiltered place that people come to with their unfiltered thoughts, and that can get it out of hand very quickly as well. well you know, we, we talked about kind of like who it impacts. And again, when I think elderly, oftentimes I think sick or shut-ins or people who can't leave, but there's a whole demographic out there of people who can't necessarily go out in public because of healthcare conditions or medical conditions. What do you recommend for them to make sure that they don't feel lonely? That's a great question. One of the things we really want to think about when we're doing a lot of self-reflection is what does loneliness mean to me? What does being connected mean to me? And what is really driving it? So if we're driving it that we're really missing, let's say, um, the verbal conversation with someone every day, whether and then some people could be missing physical touch. Some people could be missing just the, the breeze outside when they go out there and, and being able to sit down somewhere with someone. For every person, it's a little different. I always encourage self-reflection because I think the deeper knowledge we have about ourselves, the more we can, as you said, Mary, we're fixers and that includes ourselves as well. We always want to figure out what do I need to do to get better? And so part of it is knowing what really drives your loneliness, what feeds into joy, happiness, love, and what really enhances all of that. Because there is a clear connection between, of course, the more lonely we feel, maybe the less joy we feel. So we start to kind of dip into what are some things that do bring me joy? What are some things that I find pleasure in? What are some things that I could do at home if I can't go out to be able just to get that sense of pleasure, even if it's just um, the next 10 minutes? Well, you know, earlier you kind of blew my mind when you said one in three people experience loneliness and you said it's probably even higher than that. Why do you think that is? And are we seeing an increase? Like, is there something that's happening in the world that's making us feel that more so than we used to? Absolutely. You know, with loneliness, it's really interesting because a majority of um, loneliness, too, is feeling different. And I think now more than ever, there are so many people who feel different. I, you know, we have things that are really divisive, things like politics. And I know some families during holidays, they don't even talk about politics because it just gets too out of hand. And there are things like social media that sets the expectation of maybe what they think they're supposed to look like, what they're supposed to eat, what they're supposed to be exercising like, what their lifestyle is supposed to look like. There are all these expectations that we think we're supposed to do, but the reality is, is it may or may not be true. And the more we expose ourselves to what we 
we consider as these should standards, the more we start to reflect on how maybe we're not good enough, how we're so different, how we fail in comparison to others. And the reality is, is that that's not true. The reality is, is that every single person experiences emotions, the ebbs and flows of it. The, the reality is, is no matter how much money a person has, no matter how many people they have around them, they still feel things like loneliness, depression, sadness. And I think the more society is divisive, the more um, loud they are about how how much they hate certain groups, how much they hate certain things. I think it really it creates this um, ricochet on those that experience it. And it's really tough because then they start to ask questions about themselves instead of trying to work through how do I fit in this society and what are my thoughts within society and how do I live in a society where I can live in it, but I don't have to necessarily be in it in that sense. Well, you just hit on something I've, I've heard from a lot of people, which is that they, especially during like the social justice era and the political situations that people are like severing ties. They're breaking up with their friends or breaking up with their boyfriends. They're not inviting their families over. That has to be impacting the level of loneliness and even anxiety in general. What's your advice for somebody who maybe no longer speaks to their best friend or no longer speaks to their mother or their aunt or whatever? We definitely have different variations of it. If we find ourselves um, severing ties with everyone in your life, I would encourage you to take a step back and let's think about this a little more because there are different variations to everything that we do. We have people in our lives who do not have our best interests at heart. We have people in our lives who really care about us and they they want to know how we feel, what we think, but maybe they have their own opinions and maybe we don't agree. We have people in our lives who absolutely match with everything that we think and agree. We really have to think about who are the people that we're willing to sever ties with because maybe they don't have our best interests at heart. Maybe they don't fully care about us. Because if we find ourselves severing ties with everyone, we will feel that sense of loneliness and it will increase um, symptoms of depression and mental health and all of those things because it's a lot of loss. And it's a lot of loss that we are um, basing on a difference of opinion that's really, really important to us. But I also think it's really important to be able to have conversations where there is the divisiveness and there is the possibly the extreme opinion of it, but we are also in a place where we can hear each other, we can talk about it, we can understand that somebody's different from us and they have a different opinion than us and that's okay. I think the more we're able to really mend and really work on that bridge, I think the more, you know, we're going to feel at peace, we're going to, we're going to have connection, we're going to be um, feeling a little more like we belong in a group instead of feeling so different from other people. When, when we talk about severing relationships, especially with people of different, you know, beliefs, I think so much about social media because, I mean, I've, I've lost family members over social media posts, right? <laughs> now that I know I can mute people, it's a little different, but you can't mute them in real, real life. But um, social media, I think, has a huge impact on loneliness in, in general because it's, it's kind of like, what do we call it? that Instagram versus reality, right? Your life can't possibly be that perfect. You can't possibly be enjoying every moment of life. So there's something to be said for kind of the social life that people see, you would have to feel somewhat either inferior or lonely, wouldn't you? Absolutely. You know, what's really common in therapy is I always say, it's really interesting because human beings, we always compare our insides, um, who we are as a person to other people's outsides, who we think we see. And I it's like really that. not fair. That's a really good way of thinking though. Yeah. 
And it's not fair to us. It's not fair to compare who we are. We know ourselves best, right? We're the only ones that have gone through our own lives. We know who we are. We don't know the other person that we're taking a look at. We don't know what this five minutes, a snapshot of their life is, the pictures that they want to portray. I I promise you, though, in the work that I've done with so many people, there is not one person I found who is 100% happy all the time. And it's really... Um, Comforting to me in a sense, because humans are so complex. We're not supposed to feel happy all the time. We have emotions for a reason. We feel sadness. We feel anxious. We feel so many things because we are so complex. So for anyone who thinks there's a person who's happy all the time, I promise you that doesn't exist. But if that's what they're portraying, we want to take that with a grain of salt. We really want to think about, you know, do we know who that person is on the inside? versus who am I on the inside? So we want to start to match that instead of what we think we see. I like that. I see people sometimes who are so happy all the time. I wonder if they might not be medicated, but I, I think it's important to know that nobody's happy all the time. Um, you know, when I think of loneliness, I often think of kind of that social anxiety we talked in the beginning, but there have to be kind of health consequences that go along with loneliness. Is it is it physical? Is it mental? Is it emotional? What do we think of with loneliness? How does that impact our body? There's so much with mind and body, you know, if we have a, a medical condition and we have a lot of negativity, we are feeling um, unmotivated, we have low energy, we don't want to do anything about it, it absolutely will impact our medical condition because it impacts the prognosis of the outcome as well. If we are feeling proactive about it, we're motivated, we've got a plan, we're feeling a little bit hopeful, it really does change our lifestyle and it changes the way um the way we process things, the way we go about interactions as well. Going back to that CBT model. So if we change our thoughts, it really does change the emotions that we feel and the experience that we have. And it changes the outcome of what the behaviors could be. So instead of isolating and giving into the loneliness, if we do something that's going to be a little more helpful and more supportive, we reach out to someone, we, we go to a support group, we talk about it. These are behaviors that we can do to make sure that we are not deep in the loneliness. But if we are going to the behaviors like social isolation, we are not talking about it with anyone. We're sitting in our own shame with it. The lights are off in our room. You know, we are really giving into that loneliness, which then can get worse over time. And that's really the thing that we want to look out for is the loneliness consuming our daily lives. Is it consuming our daily functioning? Is it interfering with our relationships? work, school, our personal lives. We know at Providence, we always talk about kind of that public health lens, that health equity lens. Like when, when you think about loneliness, is there any correlation to things like addiction and chronic disease? Absolutely. Especially with um, chronic disease and, and addiction. So we think about addiction in terms of um, using some sort of means to soothe ourselves, right? What are we soothing ourselves from, though? That's always the bigger question. And sometimes that's loneliness. Sometimes that's anxiety. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's grief. But when we're using something else to soothe ourselves in that way, it could be unhealthy. It could get to a point where it's unhealthy. If we are using only one thing, if we are going um, beyond what we're supposed to, it gets really dangerous as well. And it, that goes with also with when, we, when I think about chronic conditions, and that loneliness is we're really kind of sitting within our own thoughts. And that could be really tough. You know, in therapy, we always say sometimes our mind is like a bad neighborhood and maybe we shouldn't go in it alone. Maybe we should go in it with a therapist, a friend, a family member, someone that we can trust. Because 
the idea with loneliness too is if we really do tackle this alone, and we could, I always say we could do it alone, but should we? You know, when you have options, when you have support, when you have family and friends waiting and ready to help, is that something we really should deprive ourselves of when we're struggling with something that's chronic and long-term? Or do we let someone walk along beside us? They can't fix it, but maybe they can walk with us so we don't feel as lonely in it. I feel like that's, it's such a beautiful proposition, but I also feel like if I'm feeling lonely, don't I feel like there is nobody to walk with me? Feeling lonely could be, um, and that, that's a, that's, you bring up a really good point because sometimes people feel lonely and they're like, you know, people don't understand and there's no one to walk with me, but that's one kind of loneliness. I think if we really feel lonely and there's no one there, there are other things we could do. You know, there are support groups ready and waiting. If we have um, a chronic health condition, there's something out there. There's a group out there that's ready and waiting for you. You can talk to your provider about it. You can get resources. There are therapy services ready and waiting for you as well. There are hotlines where um, like the aging friendship line is for seniors and they just are there to talk. There's always some sort of resource ready and waiting. So I would always challenge those that say there's no one there. And I always say, there is someone there. We just have to utilize some resources. We just have to get to know them a little more. It's very awkward in the beginning, yes, because you don't know this person. But once you do, it gets a little better and it helps truly ease their life. I love that. I just saw an article the other day. I can't remember where it was, but it was on like uh, living libraries where they were pairing people, especially elderly people with young people to kind of share with them their experiences and their history and their culture, things that they might not necessarily get in the library, but to hear it from a personal lens. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to do from an education and you know history perspective, but also to pair some of those people who might be lonely, who might feel like they don't have a lot of friend network. What a great way to do that. Are, are there programs like that that you, you see being really beneficial? There are. You know, what's really interesting is um, it's really common now to pair, of course, our seniors with their teens because I think there, there's so much growth on both ends, right? And there's so much benefit on both ends. But the really interesting part is we start to see more than just seniors and teens. We start to see everyone of all ages being paired with um, different, uh, different ages, different um, populations because, and it goes back to the idea that loneliness is universal. Loneliness affects everyone. So when they interact with anyone, no matter what age, if it's a senior and they're interacting with a toddler, it helps. You know, it doesn't matter the age. It just matters that there's connection. There, it matters to have a meaningful conversation, especially in these programs as well. I think there's a lot of meaning conversations in terms of talking about how they're really doing. We could have superficial conversations, but it really doesn't go anywhere. And I always say part of our well-being and our connectedness is having a deeper conversation to say, you know, it's been a tough day. I felt a little lonely today. I felt sad. And to have someone of a completely different age say, you know what? I felt kind of lonely too. It's been really tough going to school and going through all of these things. And regardless of life circumstances, what we found is people connect based on loneliness because loneliness is so universal everywhere. You you just touched on one of my favorite programs we have at Providence, which is our program at the Mount up in Seattle, where it pairs toddlers, like uh, kids before, like preschool before school with seniors. And a lot of times it's seniors who have had a stroke and they're learning, relearning how to tie their shoe with the toddler learning at the same time or how to make a sandwich, right? So and it, my, my favorite part is every time I'm there, I hear somebody say, 
you know, like a little kid will get really frustrated because he can't tie the shoe. And then you'll see an elderly patient go, I'm just as frustrated. It's okay that we feel that way. And I love that program because it does. I mean, when else would you really pair these two to do something and learn something together? So I absolutely love that. Um, I want to go back a little bit from the, the DEI and health equity lens because it seems to me that there might be cultural or societal shifts that might be either leading to more loneliness or maybe solving the problem. What are your thoughts on that kind of societal piece of it? You know, it's really interesting because amongst each culture, there's a different idea of, you know, is loneliness good or bad, or is it maybe part of the norm? I think in, in some cultures, we have um, people have this village approach where, you know, they they are very connected to their family members. Sometimes they live with their families. They live with their parents, their, their grandparents, and they have this very connected approach. But again, I'll remind you that even living with a lot of people could um, bring feelings of loneliness depending on what your version of perception of loneliness is. There are some cultures, like I, I know in our American culture, there's a lot of pride with being able to, um, I know we're just talking about teens, leaving the nest at 18 years old, right? That was an idea. And that created a lot of loneliness in itself on both ends. There's a lot of value with independence in our culture. And with some other cultures, there's a lot of value in um, making sure that we have the family unit intact. But What's really interesting, Mary, as we're talking about this, is that regardless of culture, there is still a sense of loneliness because loneliness looks so different. And it could mean that you're with people, you feel lonely, or you leave a nest, you go off to college, and you still feel lonely. And it's really one of those things that maybe we don't prevent loneliness, but maybe we figure out ways to manage it. Maybe we figure out ways to, to know ourselves so well and what we need that when we feel lonely, we think, okay, maybe I need a bit of connection. That's really what's, where it's coming from. Or maybe I need to call my family. Or maybe I need to have a, a deeper, meaningful conversation with my best friend. And so that's really the interesting part of it is we're looking at different cultures, but the, the universal feeling of loneliness is still very much present depending on the situation that they're in. What about technology in general. You know, we talked a little bit about like the impact of social media um, and we talked a little bit about like Zoom and that sort of thing. Is technology playing a good and a bad role as we look at loneliness? I think it's one of those things where it does help. I think it, it helps depending on the person and if they love, let's say, the verbal conversation and they love um, talking to someone, they love seeing their face, but it doesn't um, help with someone who really loves feeling and touch and that physical aspect of it. It's really one of those things where you do the best you can with what you've gotten, especially I know you mentioned the pandemic and the spike in loneliness that everyone felt then. It, it really left everyone craving touch. And it's one of those things where Zoom 100% helps. We were able to talk to people on the other side of the world, um, things that we couldn't do, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And it's one of those things that's so remarkable at the same time, we just have to know ourselves really well. So if we know that we are a person that we love touch, maybe it's helpful to go out with someone in person, get that touch component, hug them, embrace them. If we know that we love the verbal conversation, let's hop on Zoom, let's talk. And for some people and some families, distance is a, a huge issue. And that's where Zoom really comes in to aid that until maybe they can see each other again. I don't think it's going to be something that should be um, every single time forever if you love touch, but I think it could be something that's helpful in the meantime when someone's really far away and we miss them. I mean, I don't want to sound like a weird person here, but sometimes when I'm feeling the loneliest is when I go out and just hang out with my horses, right? Or I cuddle with a dog because I think it is touch for me that I'm missing, but I don't necessarily want to go out and have lunch with somebody. I just want to have that moment. 
are are there things like that, like being around animals or small things like cooking or reading? What are what are the small things we can do to kind of help us get through that moment? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, pets are amazing because pets are wonderful, especially horses. It's all about building relationships, right? And, and so there's really so much there. You don't have to say um, anything to a horse in a language because you guys can't verbally speak, but there's so much there in relationship building and connection. There's so much there when we have dogs and cats and pets in general. Being able to have um, another being there to have that touch factor is so important when that's really something that's one of our core things that drives um, one of our joys. There are plenty of things that we could do. Lots of people find a lot of joy in painting and music and making sure that they are fulfilling the artistic side. And that's one of the other things too, is um, when it comes to loneliness, I, I encourage everyone, think about the creative side that you have. Is there something that you want to try? Do you want to try a new recipe because you love cooking? That's part of your love language. Do you want to try to paint because it's expressive and you're leaving everything on the canvas? Or maybe it's learning an instrument and you can't write lyrics, but you can pour it into melodies. There are so many different ways we can translate emotions and doing these things for ourselves is all about how do I translate what I feel into maybe another means. Talk to me a little bit about what we as family members, loved ones can do for somebody who's lonely versus our community at large. What what, what are the differences and, and how should we look at that? I encourage everyone, it's it's really easy to connect with someone when they are willing, right, when they are reaching out. I think the most important times to connect is when they're quiet. If you're, if you're a family member and you're noticing someone's a little quiet or maybe they haven't quite been there or maybe they're a little different the last time you saw them, it's always important to check in. And you don't have to go straight into the loneliness and um, the very direct question, are you lonely? Uh, what can I do to help? How can I, how can I fix it? We can just do something um, that's really simple in, in terms of asking, how are you? And how are you really doing? Because of course they can give you an on the surface answer like, oh, the, the weather is great. Okay, but how are you really doing? How's work? How's family? How, you know, how are things going? Asking deeper questions is also something that's really helpful as well. If you notice you're having a really on the surface conversation, asking, you know, well, how do you feel about all that's been going on? And if they're talking about work, how do you feel about all the things that's been going on? Are you, are you feeling burned out? Are you feeling tired? We're getting to the deeper matters of the topics here. The deeper you go, the more connected you feel. The more connected you feel, the less lonely you'll feel as well. So I always say, um, if you can get to a vulnerable place with someone, that's the best place you could be to really openly share the things that you're struggling with, the things that they're struggling with, and you feel that strong sense of connection, my goodness, that helps with loneliness so much. So as family members or friends or anyone that we're concerned about, what would it be like to have a deeper conversation to see how they're really doing? How are they really feeling about some of the things that are going on in the world? How are they really feeling about their medical condition that's long-term and chronic? These are the conversations we want to have. You know, you, you mentioned the holidays, and I, I just want to ask, what happens if I'm the kind of person who feels loneliest when I'm among big groups of people, or especially around family, what what should I do if I'm that person? I'm getting ready to go to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or New Year's party, and that's when I'm the most lonely. What 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 can I do to get through that? It's important to know your limits. It's important to know if you were invited to an all-day gathering or a three-day gathering, whatever it may be, it's important to know what's your capacity. 
you know, we, we all have an idea of how introverted, extroverted we are, how much we need um, to replenish ourselves when we're alone versus when we're with other people. What's our capacity? How much do we have to give? If we um, are in a room full of people, is there someone there that we feel maybe a little more connected to that we want to have a conversation? Or are you more comfortable alone? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with being in a room full of people and feeling comfortable with being alone. I, I think it's, again, our perception of what loneliness is and our insecurities that come with that we're projecting on other people to say, if there's a person that's not talking, is that bad? Are they feeling lonely? But it's really our perception of it. And it's really okay to know your limits to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be here for three hours. I'm going to be here for two hours. I'm going to be here for an hour. And just to know what your limits are to make sure that you take care of yourself. It's important to push yourself enough so you are a little bit uncomfortable and you are growing in that sense. But it's also important not to so push yourself to the point where you are so overwhelmed and now you're kind of feeling the anxiety withdrawals from it. Let's just say I am feeling lonely. What do I do, Anna? Like, is there something I should say to somebody? How do I know when I'm so lonely I should see a therapist? Like, what are the steps you would recommend for somebody who's feeling that way? I always recommend you know, letting someone know before you get to the point you're drowning. And I always say, you know, if you are even thinking about getting a therapist, why not try it? Why not establish a relationship with someone? And let's say if you don't need that person, you'll just put it on pause and you have someone there to return to later. But I, I just say if, if someone's thinking, I'm feeling lonely, maybe I should get a therapist. That's a good time. You want to always have someone there to talk to before things get worse, because during the times where things are really bad and we're at rock bottom, that's the hardest time to get help. But if we can do a lot of preventative work at the point where we're like, you know, I'm feeling a little sad lately, I'm feeling a little lonely, the slightest bit of it, if we were to get help, establish a relationship, let's say best case scenario, you start to feel better, you don't need a therapist, that's great. But you will always have someone to fall back to in case you do hit rock bottom. And I promise you that's the toughest time to get help. We want to have somebody there that we can reach out to when that time comes. It's just that when we're feeling good, there's this misconception that maybe I don't need it right now. Um, they can spend time seeing somebody else, but that's not true. At the time where you are starting to feel even a little bit of it and you get help, it makes a big difference in planning long term how we manage emotions in case there's a dip. What should we expect if we are feeling lonely and we do seek help? Say we, we do go to a therapist. What, what would we expect from them? Is this like a, a cognitive thing? Am I having a conversation? Am I seeking like medication? What, what are the traditional ways to assist in this area? Traditionally with therapy, you know, therapists, I, I've never met a therapist who got in the field for the wrong reasons. And it's one of those things where we're here to help. And there's someone that's ready and waiting to help. It's not their version of what they think help should be. It's really a therapist and someone really meeting you where you're at, wanting to understand what your loneliness means, what it looks like, how it feels day to day, how it feels hour by hour. And it's really wanting to get an understanding of you, where you're coming from, your background, who you are as a person, and how they can best help and support. For some people, it looks a little different. For some people, they walk in and they just want to be heard. They just want to be supported and they want to be validated. For some people, they walk in and they want to say, I want to learn skills and tools. I want to learn how to manage this so that it doesn't happen again. And so the therapist will give them cognitive behavioral therapy skills and tools, for example, um, to work on, to go home, to challenge their thoughts. 
everyone has a different version of what they experience in therapy based on what they want. But I, I want to reassure everyone, it's so tailored to what you want. I just encourage you to say it because I always say they didn't teach us mind reading in grad school. Um, so we don't know how to read minds. But if we can communicate, if we can talk about how we can best help, how we can be there for you, what do you need? That really goes so far. Well, I know we're almost out of time and you're an old pro at this. So, you know, I always wrap every conversation with what did I forget to ask you? What's the one thing you want people to walk away from this episode thinking about the topic of loneliness? I really, you know, loneliness is really interesting. And I, around this time of year too, it's something that's so popular, but even then it's something that many people are already experiencing day to day, regardless of the season, regardless of what's going on. I think if there's one thing there I really want everyone to take away is my goodness, it is so normal. You would not even believe. It feels um, abnormal. It feels like you're different for experiencing loneliness. But the reality is the idea of loneliness and the emotion of it is so normal across the board. Um, there is this great author, Matthew Haig, and he talks about um, his depression in itself. And he said one of the most um, fascinating things and universal things is that people can feel lonely while other people are feeling lonely not knowing it's the most universal thing to feel lonely. So it's one of those things where I really have taken it to heart. We don't want to label anything as bad. As soon as we label something and that's bad, we tell ourselves we shouldn't feel this way. It's got to change. we got to fix it. There's nothing wrong with it unless it gets to a point where we really think about needing help. And if you do think about needing help, I encourage you, do it and get the help that you need. Talk to people. There's nothing wrong with it at all. The more we talk about this, the more we create a conversation and the more progress we make, not only in our lives, but in society in itself. It creates that ripple effect. Anna, I love the work that you do. I love your perspectives. I love every conversation that we have. So thank you so much for joining us today on Talk with the Doc. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on health and wellness with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.